This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Good morning again at 8 minutes after 5 o'clock on this Saturday morning, a morning that it's not raining yet, and we'll check that a little bit later. But uh, we're with you for our weekly get-together on Saturday morning on WGN Radio, and uh, we always enjoy your company. Thank you for joining us. And as I was mentioning to uh, Matt earlier, uh, the uh, things that impress us today or make a difference today. I got a haircut yesterday, and uh, so we're beginning slowly to open up. But how long ago have I talked about getting a haircut and how exciting that was? But <laughs> everything uh, is slowly coming together. And uh, Jameson's uh, out here at Sun City Huntley is going to start uh, serving outdoors. They've had curbside pickup and uh, ordering by phone, but uh, the uh, restaurant is going to make use of their outdoor patio area and uh, put tables outdoors when the weather is decent. And so we're looking forward to that. Come join us at Jameson's uh, because they are going to be outdoors as long as it doesn't rain, of course. So anyway, it's always interesting for me because I depend on my Reuters computer, the Reuters news service, to uh, get much of the information that I'm able to share with you. But the headlines are always interesting. And as I looked at my Reuters screen this morning, headlines like this, China's nervous President Xi risks new Cold War. That statement by the last Hong Kong governor. And uh, then we have France and Britain and Germany regret the U.S. end to Iran nuclear waivers. And uh, Russia reports 181 new coronavirus deaths down from Friday's record high. And the uh, note that we also see is the uh, Indonesia reporting 557 new coronavirus uh, infections. So that's kind of the interesting uh, headlines we get at this time of the day on the Reuters screen. Oh, and this one, bald eagles are back nesting in Orange County, California. So I have that on my Reuters headlines this morning. But uh, Saturday mornings, we uh, like to talk uh, gardening and ornamental horticulture and uh, respond to some of your questions on what you should be doing garden-wise at this time of the year. And for that, we talked to our friend of about four decades, Jim Fazell, who uh, we met when he was part of the University of Illinois uh, College of Agriculture uh, advisory uh, people who we would go to to get gardening advice. But uh, he's retired from the university, but he hasn't retired from WGN. And we'll hear from Jim when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Jim Fazell 
who joins us every Saturday morning here on the Saturday Morning Show. We dragged him out of the garden this morning, and uh, we're going to put him to work answering some of your questions. Good morning, Jim. Is it a good day for gardening so far? It is a super good day for gardening, and we're going to have a really nice weekend. What could we ask? What better could we ask after? I don't know. We've had rain practically every weekend, or something. And a couple of them, it's been too hot to do anything. Beautiful right now. The soil's in good shape. We had a little bit of rain a couple of nights ago, but not enough to really do anything but settle the dust. Soils are drying out very nicely. Hard to believe since we've had over ten inches of rain in the last month. But there we are. It's it's just. Uh, a real good day to get out. If we've been waiting for a day to garden or a week to garden or whatever it is that you're waiting for, this is it. Not only are we going to have a beautiful weekend, we're going to have a moderately warm week, which makes stuff really grow well. And uh, it's going to be dry enough that uh, the soils, which have enough moisture, are going to be workable. But what more could we ask? And by the way, summer meteorologically starts on the first, so that's this coming week, and um, that's usually about the time we say we really need to get started on gardening. So all we've talked about up to now is, is kind of um, a prelude to what we're going to be doing from this time on. Somebody uh, emailed me to ask you what is the favorite vegetable you grow in your garden? Well, the favorite one I grow is actually asparagus. <laughs> but it's not one that you plant every year. It's one that you go out and pick every year and enjoy it thoroughly. But tomatoes, there are more uses for tomatoes and the extras. Uh, there are a lot of things you can do with tomatoes. Not can, not only can you eat them fresh, but uh, you can give them away if you have far too many. But they're one of the easiest things to process. And uh, we do that. Anytime we have an extra batch of them, we save them up and we get them ready and we, we make uh, tomato sauce out of them. And uh, we put that in quart jars and we store it in our pantry down in the basement, our storeroom that we have down in the basement. Because about uh, the beginning of December, when you have that very first cold day and it's snowing and dreary out there and a, a bowl of chili would taste real good, guess what? You got all the fickings. It fixings. You put a little bit of ground beef with the tomatoes that you've already set up and uh, and uh, stewed up, and there you go. You've got homemade chili at the beginning of winter. Nothing and that's, better. And that's why you garden, and that's why a lot of other people garden. So what are we talking about with this good weather ahead this week? Well, you know, there are some things that we're beginning to see showing up because of the wet weather we've had. Uh, foliar diseases on all kinds of things are showing up. Leaf spots, I've had people sending me pictures already with leaves that have spots of various kinds on them. And, and uh, we have a neighbor that has a sycamore tree which has no leaves on it. And there are things that are causing that. Actually, the foliar diseases, one of them that we really suffer from is apple scab, which takes the leaves off crab apples about the time uh, we think the that the trees should really look good. Um, this is the time that you need to do something to control that. If you are starting to, if your leaves are already out on your crab apple trees, uh, before they really get spots on them, you need to spray them. And there are various things that you can use. One of them is copper sulfate or even good old Bordeaux mixture. You know, those are two old time fungicides. They've been around for a hundred years. Still good. There's no reason to use anything else if you don't have to. The only problem that you have with the coppers is that if you use them in hot weather, they will damage the leaves. So you need to be careful. Use them uh, every seven to ten days, particularly if the weather stays wet. Um, 
be sure that you put them on when that's not when the wind is not blowing more than eight miles an hour. That's what the law says. And don't put that stuff on trees when you have hot weather coming on. Uh, I mentioned the sycamore tree. Uh, what's happening to those is there's a disease by the name of anthracnose. There are anthracnoses for all kinds of things, including maple trees and oak trees and so forth. But the sycamore tree is particularly bad because it affects the leaves as they begin to develop. It kills them off as they start growing, and so until you get uh, beyond the stage where you get infection, you're not going to have any leaves on these trees. That happens when you have a cool, wet season. We've had a cool, wet season. Now that we have a warmer and probably drier season, these trees are going to make leaves just like they've never been bothered before. Some of the leaves that come out will be affected, will have angular spots on them or, or dead areas on them, and those leaves are going to fall off. People with sycamores get used to the fact that they drop leaves in, in early to midsummer. Not much else you can do about it. You don't want to spray for them. Uh, the weather is, is, is the solution to it. Warm, dry weather keeps the disease from occurring. Um, one other, other thing I just want to mention is leaf spots in general. You know, most all kinds of plants have leaf spots, one type or another. Peonies, that's one that we've just had some some. Uh, questions about. Peonies have leaf spots on them. Almost everything has one kind or another. Now, uh, usually the best thing to do with this is nothing. Wait till the weather dries out. But if you have plants where these leaf spots recur, and this would be the kind of a situation with, with apple trees, apple scab is a leaf spot, uh, the, the thing that you need to do is, is just allow the, the season to develop. But if you have plants that are really damaged by this there are some spray materials that can be used once again the copper sprays good old copper sulfate or bordeaux mixture and you can buy these at any garden center or any hardware store uh, they come as a, as a mixture to make up as a spray to put on the plant material they come up as powders dust that you can just dust on your plants and so forth so there are just a lot of things that can be used and they are all available e- easy to do if you're inclined to go out and treat your plants for leaf spot, that's the way to do it. Now, rose black spot is one other that, that's very common. It's common on the old hybrid tea roses and some of the newer bush-type roses. Uh, Funginex or Dacanil, which you can buy in the, in the garden center as a rose dust or a rose spray, will work very nicely. Uh, one of the things you need to do if you have problems with bushes and so forth that have leaf spots, in the fall when the leaves have fallen, rake them up because the diseases stay on the leaves, down in the ground, just waiting for spring to occur. They make spores that come up and infect the leaves. A couple other things that are happening with the wet weather. Those of us who have a lot of hostas and marigolds and so forth find that about this time of year we begin having those little shot hole type leaves, uh, holes in the leaves. And uh, this is usually due to slugs. With the wet weather we've had, a lot of slug problems. Very simple solution to it, spread the uh, slug bait out away from the plants themselves to draw the slugs out from under them. Put it out in next to the grass if you can, uh, and uh, let the slugs come out and and inv- uh, devour that stuff, and you won't have the leaf spots anymore. The slugs are very tiny now; they're easy to kill. So this is the time to do that. Now we've talked about the old beer trap system where you put stale beer in a tin, in a in a pie tin and put it on underneath these plants. Have to sink it down so the slugs can get it. It works. The only problem is that you have to get up in the morning and pour the, the uh, drunk slugs out before they sober up and go home. But it does work. 
Uh, one other and, uh, thing that I want to mention, a lot of us that have got our plants out into the garden uh, are going to be involved in trying to protect those things until they're big enough to protect themselves. One of the problems that we've had in the past and still have is with pepper plants, which are very, very inviting to cutworms. Now, the cutworms immature over winter, so they're out early in the spring and a fairly good size. The best thing to do with that is to put little collars around individual plants. It might seem like a lot of work if you have 50 uh, um, uh, pepper plants, but little collars made out of cardboard or you can use uh, uh, the tar the, um, paper. You can cut in strips of tar paper and make staple them together and make little collars. Just put them down around the plants, push them down into the soil so that the cutworm can't find the plant. Uh, that's about it as far as the garden is concerned. There are a lot of things going on in the grass. The best thing you can do with it is keep mowing it. It's going to mow. You're going to have a lot of mowing to do as long as the soil stay wet, and that's fine. Uh, if you put fertilizer on earlier in the year with all the water that we've had, you might, no might notice that the grass is not as green as it was. And you need to think about putting some fertilizer on. We usually suggest that sometime a little bit after Memorial Day. Um, and that will keep the grass growing. Be careful. Don't apply too much nitrogen. Sometimes at the half recommended rate will work at this time of year. You just want to keep the grass growing. You don't want to grow it. Anyway, it's a wonderful time. We're having uh, a nice spring. Uh, summer's here. Things are green and growing. It's a wonderful time of year. So let's get out and enjoy it. Let me ask a question about leaves, because you were talking about that earlier. As you know, in my backyard, we have a beautiful maple tree, and we used to get, what do you call them, galls or some kind of growths on the leaves that yeah. uh, would cause the leaves to drop before they should. Uh, have we gotten rid of that? I have McGinty Brothers come out and take care of my spring, and so I don't have the problem anymore, but is it still around? It is still around. What you're talking about is uh, it's a uh, problem caused by a microscopic mite. These little mites live on the trees. They live in these galls that they create. And actually, uh, before those leaves fall off in the fall, the little mites crawl out of those things. They go down onto the twig, and they stay under the bud scales until spring. Now, they come out, and they begin feeding on the leaves as the leaves begin to develop. And actually, these little galls are grown by the leaves. The insect just has a hormone in it, uh, in its saliva, that causes those things to form. And they're various shapes of them. The one that you're seeing on maple is maple bladder gall, but almost any kind of plant will have galls. Almost all of them caused by mites. Nothing you need to do about it. Uh, normally what happens is they go through a cycle where you have a lot of them. Uh, you get a season where you have weather conditions or, or temperatures or, or something happens that the population suddenly drops. You may never see them again or they may come back in a couple of years. If you have real severe problems, you do as what you said, call McCanty Brothers and yeah. come out and treat the tree for you. Then you won't have the problem. Maybe you never have the problem again. Well, we, I think, have brought it under control because I think this is about the third year I haven't seen any of those uh, of those growths on the leaves. But thanks for answering my question. And, uh, hey, we'll be in June Dairy Month, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, about gardening and the dairy industry. Maybe you never know, because that's our weekly visit with Jim Vizell, who is our specialist in ornamental horticulture here on the Saturday morning show.
It is 51 degrees on my thermometer outside my studio in Huntley, Illinois, and uh, the sun getting ready to make an appearance and hopefully a good day for gardening, as we discussed with Jim. So uh, thank you for joining us on the Saturday morning show. And uh, I tell you what, I, I can't keep up with the cancellations or the changes in dates of events because I'm getting several every day. And as I've been saying throughout this week, that uh, if you know of a county fair cancellation or a state fair cancellation or an FFA convention change, by all means, let me know. We did get word this week the Wisconsin State Fair in West Allis, just outside of Milwaukee, will not be held. The Wisconsin State Fair will, uh, you'll have to wait till next year to attend that at the fairgrounds in West Dallas as they made the decision to uh, cancel this year's event. And then yesterday I received this from the Indiana State Fair saying as we move forward with plans to host this year's Indiana State Fair, August 7 to 25, we continue to monitor the situation closely and follow the guidance of the state of Indiana and public health authorities. Until then, we encourage Hoosiers to stay healthy and strong as our community continues to rebound. So uh, we're still waiting for a final decision on the Indiana State Fair and uh, still waiting to hear from the Illinois State Fair, too, because, well, every state fair where there's a gathering of people, I'm sure the uh, people who run the fairs, county fairs or state fairs, will be monitoring the rules that we have to observe to uh, bring an end to COVID-19. And uh, that will mean that there will be a lot of changes in our summer schedule. Still waiting for Farm Progress Show to make its decision whether or not it will hold its 2020 show out in Boone, Iowa. And the Wisconsin Farm Technology Days scheduled to be held in Eau Claire, Wisconsin this summer. They have also said, nope, we're not going to do it. And so we keep getting the reports from various county fairs first county fair i heard of that uh, has canceled was the ogle county fair out at oregon the illinois that will not be held but uh, what about the sandwich fair the dupage county fair the lake county indiana and the lake county illinois county fairs all of these that are up in the air still at the moment waiting for what we hope will be an improvement in the coronavirus situation where uh, the uh, disease will not or the virus will not spread as much as it is now. But again, if you're a 4-H club member or if you're an FFA member, then stay in touch with your uh, FFA uh, advisor, your teachers. Stay in touch with your county fair people to uh, keep posted on whether or not there will be an event. I did uh, receive on the, the wire this morning details from the Illinois FFA convention which will be a first ever. It will be a uh, a technology convention. It'll be a virtual convention. 
They are going to uh, hold their sessions by uh, uh, two or three of the uh, sharing uh, computer uh, systems that we have. And uh, the practice for the Illinois FFA convention will begin Monday, June 8 at 1 p.m. Business sessions for the FFA in Illinois will be held on Tuesday, June 9th at 1 p.m. And then the election session will take place on Thursday, June 11th. And that will be happening in Springfield. So the business sessions are planned on a Zoom platform to allow delegates to both view presentations and hear the speeches and to engage in discussion via the chat function. And as a reminder, the voting process will take place on a separate Turning Technologies app. And just check with your FFA uh, chapter and uh, state uh, FFA to get the schedule on that. It will be a first-ever virtual FFA convention for Illinois. And, uh, you know, the other thing that I keep thinking about as I see these uh, activities being canceled or changed from what they would normally be is the amount of um, financial support that county fairs bring to communities, that state fairs bring to communities, and FFA conventions. It does have an economic impact on the communities where they hold those conventions. State fairs and county fairs, for example, with the vendors who uh, make a good part of their income during the fair season. And again, they won't be able to this year at many of the fairs that have been canceled or moved. So uh, it does have an impact that uh, we hope we don't have to go through a year from now. We hope that uh, it can be handled so that we can again come together as uh, people in agriculture and beyond and go to the county fairs, state fairs, FFA conventions, and all of the other activities. Uh, Harvard Milk Day at Harvard, Illinois, for example. That has been postponed. We normally would have that uh, this coming week, uh, the beginning of June Dairy Month. But uh, Mike Manwolf, who is with the uh, county fair and uh, who is with the Harvard Milk Day celebration, that is going to be held this year, October 16, 17, and 18, instead of during the beginning of June Dairy Month. Lots of changes, but uh, keep track of them, and we'll try our best to keep you posted as we hear from them. And uh, let me know if you're changing the dates, postponing or canceling, so we can share it with our audience here on WGN Radio. We're at uh, 27 minutes before 6 o'clock, 51 degrees on my thermometer at Huntley, Illinois. And we say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, sharing some of my thoughts with you this week when we continue with Samuelson Says. As I read the emails I get from you every day, I get the feeling that maybe you and the natives are getting restless, looking for things to talk about, looking for things to do. Because one of the most frequent questions I get is, 
What television are you watching these days without sports and all the other usual programs? Well, this is what I'm watching. As a kid on the farm in Wisconsin, we didn't have television, so I missed all of these original shows, but I'm watching the reruns of Bonanza, Gunsmoke, and The Rifleman. So watching television and the commercials that are part of these programs, they're generally done by the people who pay for them rather than commercial announcers. And uh, thank God they do, because in order to do programs like this one, we need the revenue that comes from advertisers. But as for the questions, well, let me share some that you have heard and I have heard many times How about this one? We are all in this together, and we will get through this together. Or this one. These are unusual times. Or, when times get back to normal, and then I wonder what normal is going to be like, because it'll probably be a great deal different than the normal we knew before this COVID-19. And it's interesting to see the commercials that are done by the people who pay for them instead of having them done by professional announcers because some of the car commercials I see have this line, zero interest, no payments for four months. I don't remember ever buying a car with those kinds of payment terms. And then attorneys, I find, are doing a lot of their own commercials as well. How many times have you heard this line? I got the biggest injury settlement for my client in the history of this state. Nearly all of these statements end with, it's free. I have received a dinner or two free, but haven't gotten much else free. So I really question that line too. But anyway, hunker down, stay safe, and be well. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. This is a presentation of the Next Star Media Group at uh, 23 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. And uh, we're going to uh, catch up on market activity this week with uh, Mike Pearson, who will be talking to uh, uh, Dale Durkholz about the agricultural markets, and we'll do that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. To help us make sense of how these markets are moving and what could be expected in the days ahead, we're joined by Dale Durkholz, principal at Grain Cycles. Dale, Greg just mentioned there we are seeing ample moisture across the Corn Belt. Are we starting to see a market premium here in corn now that planting progress is coming in a little below trade expectations? You know, we really aren't at this point in time. Planting isn't enough behind. It's a real serious concern, 88% of the crop nationally. You've got some isolated areas, you know, parts of the eastern Midwest. Then you go up into the Dakotas, certainly, but not enough to, to really give the market much of a boost or a lift. And then you got that first condition rating at 70% good to excellent, which implies roughly somewhat near trend yield today. Now, Dale, you have been in this industry quite a while. You've seen a lot of USDA crop progress and crop condition ratings reports. You know, there is a very short corn crop out there. What's your take on how well the trade is adapting to this 70 percent good to excellent rating? Uh, I think they're basically just taking it as uh, the potential of the crop is decent, may not be great. I, I, You know, when you step back from the fray and you look at the 
the overall structure right now, the acreage, you know, I think everybody's using 94, 95 million on acres uh, instead of the USDA's 97 off the prospective plantings. But still, when you couple up 94, 95 million acres with a trend yield, you're ending up with a corn crop at 15 billion and a carry out new crop that it could certainly be a little above 3 billion. That is a concern. And Dale, that's the supply side. Of course, we've got the demand side also to keep an eye on here as we work into the summer. Have your connections told you much about what's going on in the ethanol industry? Are you hearing of plants coming back online or of bids firming? Yes, plants are coming back online. Bids are firming up, you know, and, and, you know, as people look at these weekly reports on ethanol themselves, I, I think the important thing to look at is on that Wednesday report, it's an energy report, really, not just an ethanol report. Look at the finished gasoline supply number. If that, if that continues to lift, it basically implies that ethanol demand should continue to lift. And with that, you know, we're going to see that the grind pace is going to pick up, too. We're going to see some modest profitability back at plants. So I see the, that being a big plus. The other benchmark that's that's really kind of an uncertainty at this point is uh, what's going on in the livestock sector. We've had broiler placements been running 7 8% down. And then we got this huge unknown. What has happened in the pork industry? And we're not going to get any real resolution on that until we see that hog and pig report at the end of June. But for right now, it does look like slaughter is getting back up to speed. It does. You know, we talked earlier about uh, about hog, just the trouble that the hog industry has been facing. Dale, when you look ahead, specifically December corn, what's your target here for growers who want to get some sales in during this traditional great time to get some uh, some early season sales on the books? You know, I, I don't think we're going to have any early season time to get some sales on the book. So one thing I think it's going to happen when you look at the corn market, it is probably going to take something on the supply side to really jerk the market out of its lethargy that, that it's in right now. We're kind of stuck here in the 325, 335 range at this juncture. I think ultimately there's a chance we could get December futures back up into 365, maybe as high as 385. And so I'm right now just saying it's patience at the moment. This continued slow planting pace in the northern plains, particularly North Dakota, South Dakota, northwest Minnesota, is impacting the hard red spring wheat crop. Is that something you think might be able to give the wheat complex motivation to move to the upside, or is it going to be more of a localized issue? I think it could be something that could give the wheat market maybe a, a little bit of a lift, but I don't think it's a big issue. I think the, the wheat trade in general really is kind of watching what's going on in the Black Sea area over in, or in parts of uh, Europe and looking to see if, uh, you know, we're going to get some more moisture there or, or if we turn back to a drier pattern at this point. You know, the problem with wheat is we're saddled with a big crop around the world at this point, or I should say big supply. So it's going to take a, a supply shock of, of magnitude to really get the market moving much, especially with wheat harvest here and around the world getting ready to begin. All right. Those combines are starting to roll across the panhandle in Oklahoma and Kansas, and that'll probably shape the market more than anything. Dale, when you take a look at the soybean market, we have seen exports really go back and forth. When you're looking out for soybean demand, what are some of the key factors you're keeping an eye on this year? Well, the big thing everybody knows as far as soybeans are concerned when you look at the demand side is what is China going to do or what aren't they going to do? And, you know, that's that's just a real unknown at this particular juncture in time. I think some of these issues that have uh, 
flared up here just over the last couple of weeks with Hong Kong has kind of made people around the world in the soybean trade a little bit defensive as far as what it means to the U.S. market themselves. You know, we've heard some stories here that, that China's actually even booking some beans out for fall shipment out of uh, Brazil at this particular juncture in time. And so everybody's really starting to question, you know, is China really going to live up to that phase one agreement? And as long as political tensions rise, you know, that question mark's going to dog the market and keep lit on bean prices here. Well, and one of the things you talked about a little bit earlier in the first segment was the livestock demand. Bean meal went on a little bit of a tear earlier this week. When you're looking out, especially at that hog herd number, what do you anticipate to go on with the domestic crush? Well, I think it's going to continue to remain robust. And, you know, the one thing getting lost in in the mix at this particular point is what's going on in the veg oil market. You know, world veg oils are really doing uh, extremely well. Demand base is strong. If you look at bean export or bean oil export sales and shipments at this particular juncture in time, we're basically in a window here that, that we've got the best export program in bean oil in place going back to 2010, 2011. It's about 50% higher than it was last year. So even if meal would calm down a little bit in here because of some of the issues in hogs and ethanol and DDGs, et cetera, you know, we're going to have to continue to crush beans for oil itself because of the export phase we've put in place. Dale, real quick before we let you go, are bean acres going to hit the USDA target this year in your mind? Uh, I think they'll actually uh, end up being just a little bit higher with some switching, but I don't think they're going to be a huge increase at all. Fantastic. Dale Durkholz, principal at Grain Cycles. Thanks for joining us this week. Good talking to you. And our thanks to Mike Pearson and to Dale for taking a look at agricultural market activity this past week. And, of course, not only the agricultural markets, but Wall Street and the stock market as well, concerned about what President Trump was going to say about the Hong Kong-China situation yesterday. Turned out to be not quite as tough as a lot of the trade was thinking, but uh, just to highlight some of what the president said yesterday, he said he was ordering his administration to begin the process of eliminating special treatment for Hong Kong to punish China for its plans to impose new security legislation there. And that's a potential bombshell for the territory status as a global financial center. In making the announcement at a White House news conference, the president aimed some of his toughest rhetoric yet against China, saying it had broken its word over Hong Kong's autonomy. Trump called this a tragedy for the people of Hong Kong, China, and the world, having already attacked Beijing's handling of the coronavirus pandemic, which began in the Chinese city of Wuhan. Trump said China's malfeasance was the responsible for the massive suffering and economic damage worldwide. So he said, we will take action to revoke Hong Kong's preferential treatment as a separate customs and travel territory from the rest of China, adding that the United States would also impose sanctions on individuals seen as responsible for smothering, absolutely smothering, the president's words, Hong Kong's freedom. 
and the president said his announcement would affect the full range of agreements we have with Hong Kong, from the U.S. extradition treaty to export controls on dual-use technologies and more with few exceptions. He said, our actions will be strong, our actions will be meaningful. But the stock market reacted, uh, I think, more positively than negatively to the statement by the president, because I think the market was expecting a lot worse as far as our relationship with China and China trade. Incidentally, China was back in the market for U.S. soybeans and corn again this week. Yesterday, a sale of 66,000 tons of soybeans to China from the 2019-20 crop, another 66,000 metric ton sale of soybeans to China for the 2020-21 crop, and also... 101,000 metric tons of corn sold to unknown destinations. But normally when it's unknown destinations, we tend to think that's China that's doing the buying. Let me get back to June Dairy Month for just a moment because that will be getting underway as the dairy industry celebrates its contributions to our well-being in this country. And in celebration of June Dairy Month, Dairy Management Inc. and state and regional checkoff teams around the country are showcasing dairy's resilience and community impact during the COVID-19 pandemic. The efforts will start on June 1st, that's uh, the beginning of June Dairy Month, with a Raising Gallons video that DMI created in partnership with state and regional checkoff organizations. That video features Olympians, NFL players, famous chefs, and others raising a gallon of milk to show their appreciation for dairy farmers while supporting the checkoff uh, program and the goal of getting nutritious dairy to food insecure Americans through its Feeding America partnership. The video, and I've had the opportunity to see it, the video fittingly is kicked off by Pennsylvania dairy farmer and DMI chair Marilyn Hershey and concludes with Feeding America's director of dairy supply chain partnership, Jared Matthews, who encourages consumers to post their own raising gallon photo using undeniably dairy. So the pandemic has shown just how essential feeding America and dairy farmers are to helping feed those in need. That according to Hershey. And she said, we're working toward a committee and the common goal and our checkoff strategy of getting dairy into the hands of those who need it. Uh, wouldn't be possible without Feeding America and its nationwide network of 200 local food banks. So that will be a part of June Dairy Month, and we hope you will have a glass of milk or two or three or four every day uh, during the June Dairy Month celebration. Max Armstrong standing by to uh, share with us the uh, crop situation as we move into the 
summer season. And uh, we'll check in with Max when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. We go to the field for our weekend visit with the folks from BASF. Kurt Martins, technical service representative with BASF, joins us this weekend. Since we talked to you a couple of weeks ago, what have you been doing out there? You've been out checking on plots, visiting with growers, offering expertise, all of the above, I trust, huh? You bet. Things are starting to heat up along with our temperatures, so uh, a lot of things are starting to happen out in the field. You really see things come to life with the warmth, don't you? Oh, man, things are really, really popping now that... You can almost watch the corn grow, and and uh, and along with that, though, we're starting to see a few a few of the problems that have showed up. We're seeing uh, some of the beans planted in May are showing some diseases like pythium, and that's typical of cool, wet weather. Uh, but there, uh, it's not too bad. Uh, the biggest thing is that uh, the corn beans are growing, but so are the weeds, and we're gonna we're gonna as soon as it stops raining, we're gonna be hitting them pretty hard here. We need to uh, obviously get in there with uh, a little bit of residual control after the initial uh, pre that's uh, gone on there. We want to make sure we get that protection uh, as long as we can, I gather. That's right. Especially with the water hemp, that everyone's trouble for the most part, uh, or most problematic weed. What we need to do is we need to make sure that we have enough residual, especially in soybeans, to get us to canopy. If we can get our crop canopy, that means we shut the sunlight off to the soil surface and we will stop our water hemp from emerging and thus not competing with our crop for you know nutrients and, and sunlight and therefore decreasing yield potential. So my recommendation to the field here is we're gonna be start we're gonna start spraying our, our beans, especially our dicama beans, here in the next week or so. Make sure we add some residual like some outlook, ten to sixteen ounces of outlook or zidua. It'd be like around two ounces of zidua S C along with that ingenie application. Those products, Outlook and Zidu, are going to give us that residual to get us to canopy in our soybeans. And when you talk about ounces, you're talking about ounces per acre. We might share that with our non-farm listeners just so they're reminded of how little product is actually applied to the fields there. That's right. Today's herbicides, very low use rate, uh, very very low impact to the environment. So so uh, we're, we're doing a good job of controlling our weeds and keeping our, our friendlies uh, in check as well. And when you see that sprayer going across the field and, and watch those nozzles uh, turn on and turn off, again, it's a reminder of how little product is actually being used out there, no more than is necessary. And today we do a lot of training with our applicators, especially those that are applying the dicamber products. Um, they have to go through training. We have stewardship available to them. Like with our product, Ingenia, we have ingeniastewardship.com where they can get checklists. They can get online training. They didn't get in-person training. And, of course, see all the rules and regulations along around applying those products. Many of those folks got their training already in the off-season, did they not? They sure did. But they can still get it if they haven't today. They can still go online. Again, you can go to ingeniousstewardship.com to find that online training. What is some of the guidance uh, that you, you focus on there in that stewardship training? Watching conditions, I suppose, uh, weather conditions at any particular time, for example? Very important. Obviously, the label's talks we we've got restrictions we cannot apply products when the wind is greater than 10 miles an hour less than three miles an hour we must maintain the boom height no more than 20 inches above the top of our target we've got cutoff dates very important here in illinois we've got three different cutoff dates the first one is 45 days after planting the second one is june 20th and then the third is beginning r1 whichever comes first that is the end of our window to apply our dicamba products on dicamba tolerant soybeans if there's any question about the, having the right weather or, or making sure that they're not spraying during an inversion, again, go to our, our stewardship website. They can find a tool 
that will help you determine whether or not you have good spraying conditions. Make sure to utilize that tool. It will help our applicators out. What is that website, Kurt? That is IngeniousStewardship.com. IngeniousStewardship.com. Thank you, as always. We appreciate the visit this weekend. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Kurt Martins with BASF. And that's our time on the Saturday morning show for this uh, last weekend of May and the beginning of June Dairy Month. Thanks to you for listening, and thanks to uh, Bob Ferguson, our engineer, for making sure it all comes together. Meanwhile, have a great week. Be safe and be well, and thanks for joining us on the Saturday morning show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.